Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, where in the word are you today on this first Friday of Lent in 2021, February the 19th? Where in the word are you? Well, so uh, during Lent on Fridays, I think about fish. I think about serving fish. I think about eating fish. I know I'm, I might be a little bit culturally captive uh, in this particular way. Um, but so that uh, made me think this morning early on. Uh, about the passage where Jesus calls Andrew, Peter, James, and John to be fishers of men. So this is from Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 20. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Now, who does that? Who does that? Who uh, who responds in that way to Jesus? And who is this Jesus that people would respond to him like that? Those seem to be the most provocative questions that we might ask ourselves at this point in uh, the Gospel of Matthew. During the season of Lent, we um, we pay attention to who Jesus is, what he has done, who we are, what we have done, our deep need for him. We pay attention to the things of God and the things of um, ourselves that sort of lay bare our need for God. During the season of Lent, I recognize, acknowledge my spiritual anemia, and yes, the reality of my sin. So Lent is a good season um, to take some time away, or as Dan DeWitt just described, to create some white space to um, eliminate some things in order to open up space to focus on or reflect or consider, experience um, all that which just constantly fills every part of our lives. And, and therefore, we don't have like li- literally any space to consider what God might be trying to reveal to us, teach us, or the sin that he is very much desiring um, to eradicate from our lives. Yes, yes, our sin is forgiven, um, but we are people who are called to lead lives that are worthy of the calling to which we've been called in Christ, which means we are to um, be seeking an ever deeper and and more abiding holiness, a way in which our lives are set apart. So not just uh, faith and a response of faith, but also obedience to Christ, not just Jesus as Savior, but Jesus as Lord And so that might take us to the reading of the entire uh, fourth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, where you will find not only the Fishers of Men verse on this uh, first Friday in Lent, um, but you will also find uh, Jesus led by the Spirit into the wilderness, tempted by the devil, and you will experience his responses there. Um, So just encourage you today to find yourself in the Word of God, that the Spirit of God may dwell in you 
deeply and richly, and that when we are tempted, we might respond um, as Jesus has responded. All right, in the uh, in the spirit of WandaVision last night, uh, please stand by. Adam Holtz will be up next. Joining me now, Adam Holtz from Focus on the Family's Plugged In. Welcome back, man. Good morning, Carmen. I had to Google why Please Stand By was trending on Twitter, and I discovered that uh, uh, it, it it's a nod to WandaVision. So that was yeah. my yeah. So did I, did, as soon as I did it go blank or something? Do we know what happened? We don't know. No, I was just going to tell you. I it has become my routine that. I get done with this interview and another one, and then I watch the week's episode and write up our episode review. So I haven't seen this week's episode yet, so I, uh, I'm very curious myself. <laughs> well, my guess is that during the episode, there's – do you remember – I mean, are you old enough to remember when, like, the screen would go to those, like, oh, yeah. weird, like, just right, lines the, of color, the and there would be, like, static, bars. and then there would be, like, please yep. stand by? Yeah, mm-hmm. I, yep. That's my. That's what I suspect. That's what I suspect. I remember. Oh boy, do I? Oh yeah, yeah. All right. Hey, let's talk about some reviews this week. Um, which Absolutely. one do you want to lead off with? Because you have a number here that we could pick from at pluggedin.com. Let's start with Flora and Ulysses, which is uh, based on a children's book. And until this week, I had never heard of it before. This is a a really lovely little movie that is streaming on Disney Plus as of this week. And if you have ever you know, laying awake at night, restless, with an existential hole in your heart and thought it would just be better if we had a superhero movie that starred a squirrel. This movie is the answer to your prayers. Uh, It's about a a 10-year-old little girl named Flora. She's got a delightful, delightful personality. She's really a lovely little girl. But she's gotten pretty cynical about life because Her dad got laid off from his comic book writing job, and he's in despair. And uh, her parents' marriage is falling apart, and they're on the verge of of divorce. And at one point, you know, she says, in the comic books, there's always a superhero to fix the problem. But in the real world, they never show up. And so there's this deep sort of ache in her heart. And right about that time, wouldn't you know it, there's a robot a vacuum cleaner that goes on the fritz, gets outside, and sucks up a squirrel. I know it's a common problem in our neighborhood. Um, (laughs) And Flora sees it happen, goes out and resuscitates the squirrel, and that is the squirrel's superhero origin story. And the squirrel is not the same and suddenly has all kinds of powers, and, and they go on adventures together. And she names him Ulysses because that's the name of the vacuum that tried to eat him. Um, So he has a... A tense relationship with a cat, an evil cat named Mr. Claus. Uh, so, you know, there's all sorts of hijinks and mild peril and that sort of thing. What I like about this story is that I think it, it's one of these kind of Disney – well, Disney excels at these meta stories. You know, your kids can watch it and you can watch it on another level because I think it it really does point toward hope, toward restoration, you know, and, and combats this cynicism and despair that this little girl is facing. So – Really pretty nice movie, Carmen. All right. Flora and Ulysses on Disney Plus. That one sounds fun. Um, The Map of Tiny Perfect Things. Yeah. You know, this is really 
structurally very similar to the ground to Groundhog Day from the early 1990s, which has become really a, a sort of a modern classic. Lots of us quote it and reference it. This is a story about a teen guy named Mark who finds himself going through the same day over and over again. He doesn't know why. And eventually he meets a teen girl named Margaret um, who is having the same problem. And together they begin to try to suss out what's happening. And it becomes potentially apparent that the key to breaking out of this temporal anomaly has to do with paying attention to the beautiful, quiet moments that most of us might miss on any given day. So whether that's a hawk in the sky, uh, some bikers helping a turtle across the road, um, a janitor who sneaks off to play piano, uh, you know, at a level that you wouldn't think any janitor would be able to do. Um, and they make this map of where these things are happening, and that is a key part of the plot. Um, Another pretty good movie. This one's PG-13. It gets pushed into that direction ratings-wise because it's got, you know, one obligatory F word to get it the harsher rating and a couple of S words and some other profanity. That's really the biggest issue here. Um, it's an interesting movie on a pseudo-spiritual level. They don't really deal with spirituality from a Christian perspective, but uh, they do ask questions about the meaning of life. What are we doing? What are, what are we supposed to be doing? Um, at one point, they have kind of a humorous conversation pondering whether, in fact, they're in hell. Um, so that's probably as close to Christianity as things get. So another one that I think for older teens on up could potentially be an interesting conversation starter and a jumping off point for some terrific questions about where we find meaning in life. But it's not a perfect movie, despite its title. There is some content here. So as always, you'll want to check out our full review before you watch it with your family. All right. Tons of reviews this week posted at PluggedIn.com. Want to direct those? Uh, want to direct you to those. Um, Adam Holtz and I are going to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're going to talk about a PBS series on the Black Church. Um, that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with Adam Holtz from Focus on the Families, Plugged In. Um, one quick question, um, Adam, um, and that is, how do you decide what to review on PluggedIn.com and what not to review? Now that there are, frankly, so many things you could be reviewing, and it seems like everyone has a movie production company. Yeah, that's a great question, and it's a question that we grapple with each week um, typically on the low end, we might review as few as three or four movies. And on a really busy week, we might review as many as seven or eight. Um, and, and there's sort of a Venn diagram of how wide a release is it getting? How much buzz is it creating? Uh, how family friendly is it? We know that our audience wants to know about everything that is aimed at the family. So we'll always prioritize PG and PG 13 movies over R rated fare. But this time of year, you've also got Oscar buzz. And so we're trying to weigh, you know, do we review this one or this one? Like this week, we reviewed Nomadland with Francis McDormand, which uh, is R-rated. And you can check out our review. Uh, but it would be an example of one that we would cover in part because of the Oscar buzz. And then we just kind of see where we're at. And uh, we know we can't cover everything, but we hopefully can cover the things that people are 
most curious about and most looking for information about. All right. So Christians across the country um, and particularly during this Black History Month uh, have been tuning in to a series on PBS. Maybe tell us what you know about it. You know, this is a series called The Black Church. This is our story. This is our song. Uh, And I'm I'm mostly I I have not full disclosure. I have not seen it, but I'm reporting on what Christianity Today has had to say about it. And this is um, a series that looks at black history and does interviews with 70 religious scholars, with pastors, with black gospel artists, and really, I think, uh, is trying to give a pretty full-orbed overview on how the black church has been a cornerstone of black culture. Uh, And even if you look at entertainers today, I mean, getting back to a plugged-in angle, you know, the vast majority, and I'm making a generalization, but I think it's fairly accurate, even of of rappers and and some folks that might have pretty extreme content, you will still hear shout outs to church and to Jesus. And they may not recognize the disconnect between some of what they're saying and, uh, you know, that church background, but it's there. It really is a part of the black cultural experience for, for so many African-Americans. And so this is, um, a four-hour, uh, multi-part, two-part documentary that takes a look at that. All right. And then um, let's talk about um, something that is posted at PluggedIn.com on the blog. Um, it, because I think that using the TV as a babysitter um, is probably something that started when, uh, I don't know, PBS came on air and Sesame Street became an option. Right? But the stuff yep. that you might sit a kid down in front of now uh, is not just Sesame Street. No, so it's not. T- talk with us about this. I'm reading this. this is a uh, your colleague um, Paul Acey has this posted. Um, even great animated movies can make bad babysitters. Yeah, Paul was talking about the fact that several of the movies that are generating Oscar buzz in the animated category this year have a surprising amount of spiritual content. And so he's talking about Wolf Walkers, which deals with these sort of um, vaguely wolf-slash-human characters fighting against the Catholic Church in 16th century Ireland, uh, and Soul, which of course is about a guy who dies, but he doesn't go to heaven. He goes to a sort of pre-existing place where souls are made ready to come into the universe. And and Paul's point is that, you know, there might have been a time where we could make the assumption that animated fare, especially, uh, you know, we don't have to think too much about that, that if we need something to keep the kids entertained, that you know, just plop them down with that. But these two movies especially have really significant spiritual concepts woven into them. And if our families are going to watch them, we need to watch them discerningly, and we need to be having conversation about them. Uh, and I think the bigger point is we've got to to be wise and be careful when we just turn our our kids loose on screens, that screens are not a good babysitter because we may not know what our kids are engaging. We don't know how they're processing it. And so there are just lots of unanswered questions. And of course, these days, Pandora's box is literally one click away. Um, This is a little bit of a tangent, but I was doing a search on a guitar product this week 
and I clicked on it and I looked away. And by the time the screen came up, it was a porn site. And Mm -hmm. it's been a long time since that has happened to me, but that does happen. Our kids can have one missed keystroke. And even with, with filters turned on, sometimes stuff gets through. So I think the other word here is as parents, we can't just rely on setting parental filters, although those can be a great tool for us. We have got to be engaged and processing with our kids and the content they're consuming. Yeah, anime. Um, for those of for those of you who are listening, not familiar with um, with anime, anime is extremely popular among middle school and high school students. Um, there's a lot of anime that's expressly pornographic. Uh, I mean, oh, expressly yeah. lewd yep. and violent and pornographic. And so, um, animation is not what it uh, what it used to be. Um, no. All right, um, one more thing before we go. Um, Ariana Grande uh, used to be um, uh, used to be sort of okay, uh, not okay anymore. Uh, she has moved to the naughty list. She has moved to the naughty list and like got all of her credentials and merit badges there. Sorry, mm-hmm. I shouldn't I shouldn't drag Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts into this. Um, it is cookie who, season. It is cookie well, season for true, those who don't know. Yeah, they're there harder to get this year with COVID, which is another tangent for another time. Um, Ariana Grande was on a Nickelodeon show years ago, and like so many child stars, she has graduated to a singing career and has just gotten increasingly more, honestly, pornographic is the right word. And that's a word that some might accuse conservatives of using too liberally, uh, ironically. But in this case, uh, she has remixed a song called 3435, and you can do the math on what that adds up to. And that gives you a clue about what this song is about. Uh, And she's invited Megan Thee Stallion, who is an up-and-coming rapper, and another artist called Doja Cat. And, I mean, this stuff is hardcore graphic, uh, anatomical descriptions of people's, you know, bodies and what they do during sexual intercourse. And I just think there is – there's such a deep need for us as Christians – to be talking with our kids about sexuality because our culture is going there uh, in ways that ought to make us blush, but to even suggest to some of these artists that this stuff is problematic, they get all mad and defensive and start talking about how it's, you know, female empowerment. Well, Mm -hmm. I think most of us would say this expression of female empowerment is one that deserves a critical look. Yeah, it's degradation. It's degradation, no question about it. All right, that's Adam Holtz from Focus on the Family's Plugged In. You can check out what we've been talking about today at PluggedIn.com. We'll be right back. All right, we have all experienced uh, disasters of a number of varieties, not least of which uh, COVID and the disaster that it is for local communities and houses of worship and people all around. If you want to be equipped to offer spiritual first aid. There's now a certificate course for that. Dr. Jamie Ayton from Wheaton's Humanitarian Disaster Institute will be here next to talk about it. This is Max Licato. Romans 8 and verse 26 and 27 says, the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father, who knows all hearts, knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. 
the impoverished orphan of Russia, the distraught widow of the battlefield, the aging saint in the convalescent home. They may think they have no voice, no clout, no influence, but they have a friend. They have a counselor, a comforter, the blessed Spirit of God who speaks the language of heaven in heaven. None of us pray as much as we should, but all of us pray more than we think because the Holy Spirit turns our sighs into petitions and tears into entreaties. He speaks for you and He protects you and He makes sure you are heard. He makes sure you get home. This is Max Locato. Well, we're really excited to have Dr. Jamie Ayton back with us today. He's the founder and executive director of the Humanitarian Disaster Institute at Wheaton. Um, and he is also now a full professor at Wheaton. And so we're just celebrating that. Congratulations, Professor Ayton. Thanks so much, Carmen. Really appreciate that. Yeah, that's, that's just awesome. Okay, so I have been looking forward to talking with you about Better Samaritan. I read about it in Christianity Today, and people can check that out as well. Tell us about Better Samaritan. Well, my colleague Kent Annan and I at the Humanitarian Disaster Institute just recently launched a new podcast and blog called The Better Samaritan. And we've been really excited about it. And where the storyline comes for this and the title of it is that we've seen way too many good Samaritans who set out to do good but actually caused so we want to try to bring this conversation to think about how do we bring our faith and science and best practices so that we can learn how to do good better together. Not all Good Samaritans are helpful. That's sort of the unfortunate um, acknowledgement here. There's a lot of well-intentioned, energetic people, Christians among them. We're often moved by a crisis in front of us, and we often press ourselves in, sometimes with what I might describe as uninvited and certainly unappreciated and then I'll put scare quotes around this word, help. So talk about the kinds, maybe the kinds of examples of that, you know, like what what are the, you know, gosh, heartfelt expressions of things that we might, we might feel like would be a good idea, but, you know, frankly, they're just not helpful. Well, you know, Carmen, I think what you described actually is one of the biggest challenges that I've seen. And, and the term I actually normally use for that is and tell people is don't be an SUV, a spontaneous, unaffiliated volunteer. And so with that, meaning that we do need neighbor to help neighbor, but too often in times of like a mass disaster, for example, where you see people just automatically like hop in their cars and take off and jump into the middle of whatever's going on. And yes, we do need volunteers, but if you're not connected to an organization or it's not your own community, you're actually going to be adding to the chaos. And in fact, many emergency managers, for example, refer to that phenomenon as like the second wave of disaster of where you sometimes have volunteers that are coming, but they're not plugged in anywhere. So they actually end up taking away resources from the people that need them the most. So finding people who are um, already in that community, already have a network um, through which they can actually engage with people in a community, people who already know the needs of the community and the people involved and the network of resources. For those of us who are on the outside of that community, for us to engage with one of those organizations is often maybe the, the right way to approach our desire to help. Yeah, absolutely. That's definitely the way that we want to take it, that, you know, humanitarian aid and disaster aid at its really essence is relational. 
So we always want to make sure that we have a relationship that's welcoming us into the community, whether that's a, a large organization, maybe it's a church, but also if maybe you have contacts on the ground who are saying, hey, this is what we need and we need you to help in this way, then that's that's different because you've got an invitation. So you know that people are ready to welcome you in to be able to be more helpful. All right. You guys can connect with the the Better Samaritan um, in all kinds of ways. You can do so at the Humanitarian Disaster Institute. Um, you can do so on all the socials. Um, the, the Better Samaritan is reachable um, on, as I'm scrolling down here, like literally all the, all the socials. Do you have, a, you have a favorite one where you connect with people, where you like to connect with people? Yeah. So, you know, feel free to reach out to uh, Dr. Jamie Ayton on Twitter or at uh, Wheaton HDI on Twitter. Um, we're also HDIs on Instagram and Facebook as well. So those are all good places to find it or on Spotify. You can also find it at Christianity Today. Oh, see, that's so great. That's so helpful. All right, um, Jamie, I have been noting that you have been writing a lot frequently um, at psychologytoday.com. I am looking at a piece on resilience and coping with stress that's caused by all kinds of things, um, maybe not least of which would be the riot in the, at the Capitol um, on January the 6th. Like people still mm. like have like real actual like visceral feelings in relationship to events that take place, even in places that are far from us. Can you just talk about a little bit how we um, how we cope in the midst of that? Yeah, it, it's very common for us to, like, for instance, we can experience stress or even trauma. And when we think of that, it's often when something happens directly to us. But it's important to recognize that in the field of psychology, for example, we sometimes talk about what is like secondary stress or secondary or vicarious trauma, which is where maybe you haven't gone directly through something, but you're witnessing it. Um, so that could be through media. It could be by listening to something on the radio that could trigger up old struggles or feelings that you may have had previously or just raising our anxiety. So one of the things I would encourage people to do right now is to make sure that they are staying informed, but also to recognize when they start maybe feeling overly anxious from connecting with the media maybe too much, that that might mean you need a bit of a break because you're actually just kind of feeding some of those concerns and fears over and over if you're not careful. Yeah, taking taking a break from media and social media has been uh, a bit of a drumbeat and a bit of a refrain from lots of our guests um, here on the program. I'm, I'm thinking here about even like our social media guests, like Chris Martin, like he frequently mm -hmm. talks, tells people to like, you really need to consider taking a break, like getting off of some of these platforms. Um, John Brandon just recently, you know, said the same thing just in relationship to digital media. He's like, you know, sometimes you just you just literally like need to fast from it. You need to take a break. Uh, that's hard to do because I think we have become psychologically dependent on those devices in many, many ways, particularly when we think about um, missing out or not, you know, not being in the loop on something or feeling like we always have to be the first to know and the first to um, tweet or retweet or comment or like. Right. So there's there's something going on there in all of us, Jamie, that's probably pretty unhealthy. Yeah, and, and one of the ways that um, some researchers are starting to talk about this, especially during COVID-19, is they're referring to that phenomenon as doomsday scrolling, where, you know, by nature, as people, we tend to look for bad news. You know, there's a reason why bad news gets our attention, that, you know, that's one of the ways that we stay informed and can make decisions to protect ourselves from potential threats in our environments and so on. Um, but 
when we're constantly scrolling through, then what starts to happen is we get going down to that rabbit trail and uh, just continue to search out more and more negative media and consume it, which can have a significant negative impact on our mental health and well-being. All right. Jamie Ayton and I are going to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're going to talk about a um, a first aid, a spiritual first aid kit, really. It's a course. It's a kit. It's designed for you. Um, and we're going to talk about spiritual first aid in just a moment. All right, picking up where we left off with Dr. Jamie Ayton from the Humanitarian Disaster Institute at Wheaton. Um, Jamie, this is a really excellent um, development that we're going to talk about now. And friends, if you're listening, you can find what we're talking about at spiritualfirstaid.teachable.com, spiritualfirstaid.teachable.com. What is this? Well, Carmen, this comes out of, it's a new resource that our team recently developed and launched that comes out of 15 years of research that we've been doing around the globe after disasters, crisis, and other types of traumas, and have been able to develop this for for, uh, churches and other Christian helpers to be able to provide support to others during COVID-19 and other mental health struggles that people may have. So you can think of this as a spiritual emotional care intervention. But one of the things that we've tried to do is we created this online course that people can take and get an online certification in it. And what you'll learn is how to really help address people's most basic needs. So you you don't have to be a psychologist by training like me to help others that in our research, we've seen that neighbor helping neighbor, you know, that, you know, somebody from the church or helping somebody in the community, that that goes so far in preventing what are maybe what could be major mental health crises from snowballing to that level. So being able to just attend to some basic needs, which we teach the bless method as an easy way to remember how to help others and to really, really boil down and take the guesswork out of helping. And for our listeners here at Mornings with Carmen, they have um, added a discount code. Um, and so you're just going to need to know how to spell my name, which is, uh, as my kindergarten age grandchild just told me, it's really two words put together, the word car and the word men. So <laughs> Carmen, uh, you just type that code in and you're going to get uh, $20 off the the cost of the spiritual first aid course. Again, you're going to find it at spiritualfirstaid.teachable.com. What are some of the things covered in the course? Well, we teach and try to boil it down to what we call the BLESS method of helping people to recognize the five core needs that our research has shown that people have when they're facing adversity. So looking at belonging needs, looking at livelihood needs, emotional needs, spiritual needs, and safety needs. And so what you'll find on that course is about eight hours of videos, uh, manuals, resources, tools. We also have a number of free spiritual first aid kit resources. So you get to hear and watch videos from folks like N.T. Wright and some other renowned psychologists. And we really walk you through step-by-step of learning about each one of the interventions and needs. And then in addition to the video of me providing that training, we also have role-play videos that you can watch others actually putting what you just learned into practice. And then my colleague Kent Ann and I go through those same videos of the role-plays and provide commentary. So kind of thing like John Madden with the football and you know <laughs> providing commentary on hey, this went well. These are some things you could do different. So we really try to have you walk through each of those so that you can apply it and apply it not only to your own life, but into the lives of helping others. So for those of you not familiar with um, the Humanitarian Disaster Institute at Wheaton, 
It really is the very first faith-based academic disaster research center in the country. And so when we talk about a program, a course offering like uh, like spiritual first aid, we're talking about something that is academic, but it's also sensitive and responsive to those of us who are operating out of a Christian worldview. And again, you can check it out at spiritualfirstaid.teachable.com. And then you're going to want to use the discount code CARMEN to get $20 off the um, the cost of the course. That's just awesome. Jamie, um, when, we, when we think about COVID and we think about how long our experience of this pandemic has been, I remember uh, having a conversation with you about the stages that we might all experience in terms of moving through the pandemic. I'm wondering if, you know, if as we have moved through, let's say, the six-month mark and now the full year mark, um, can we revisit that topic of the stages we might be or the phases we might be experiencing and where we might be now? Yeah, absolutely. And right now at the six-month mark, so if you look at disasters, there tends to be kind of a general ebb and flow. So it's, they're not um, you know, exactly precise, but there are good rules of thumb for kind of be able to navigate where are we in the disaster process. And so to kind of step back when COVID first hit, you know, that would be the impact phase. And then typically what we start to see is this uh, heroic phase and even honeymoon phase, which is where if you think back to early on, we started having lots of different ways that we were recognizing healthcare workers, you know, hearing messages of we're going to get through this together. Um, and, and so, you know, we're starting to feel hopeful. Hopefully this is going to pass pretty quickly. But now that we're six months in, we're into what disaster experts would refer to as the disillusionment phase. So this is when that reality starts to really sink in with us of, oh my goodness, we've been going through COVID for a long time now. You know, actually March 11th will be the one-year anniversary of when the World Health Organization declared uh, COVID-19 as a pandemic. And, And so as that reality starts to sink in, and then, you know, we were starting to get hopeful again. Uh, so you could again say we almost had like a second honeymoon phase when we heard the vaccines were coming. But now the reality that the vaccine rollout is still going to be a slow process and seeing some of the challenges there, again, that's when we start to feel disillusioned of like, oh, my goodness, this is really starting to take a weight on me. But the thing to remember, though, is that we will eventually start to hit that recovery phase that and reconstruction when we start to make major significant gains and we're but it's still important to remember that those gains are still going to take us time so we need to be thinking of this still like a marathon rather than a sprint we can look forward to recovery and to reconstruction but i and i think that when we think about those terms it does sound like a lot of work it's not going to be like instantaneous liberation and everything snaps back to you know the most positive um even if um now fanciful version of the, of history as we are choosing to remember it even the way we think we remember what life was like before covid was probably it probably really wasn't that good then um and so when we talk about recovery we're talking about recovering those things that ought to be recovered must be recovered but we're also talking about something new like reconstruction mm-hmm. and i have to tell you that for me Imagining the positive possible futures and beginning to even have conversations with other people about what might public education look like on the other side of this, because it's been a disaster now. And so is, you know, now that we've got this little window of time, what if we could draw back and really think together about completely 
reorganizing, reimagining, revamping public education in America. Are you seeing those kinds of conversations stirring? Yeah, and, and in fact, and, and not just from COVID-19, but, you know, again, I, I've been doing this disaster work for 15 years now and, you know, being a part of these different communities and walking alongside communities that have gone through these devastating events, that one of the things that it gives me hope oftentimes is that out of these disasters, it does oftentimes feed or amplify innovation where, you know, if you think about even just to kind of step back for a moment, you know, I, I got into this work because uh, through Hurricane Katrina and, you know, it had actually just moved to Mississippi and then it hits our community. So that, that's how I got into this. And w- at that time, one of the, the good things that came out of it, for example, was FEMA and the federal government completely redid the entire way they approached um, emergency management. I mean, it changed everything for how we think about it and talk about disasters within federal emergency types of responses. And so those changes have then allowed FEMA to make improvements over the years. And so I think we also see that, for instance, with nonprofits, you know, like one of my favorite stories um, came out of uh, Baton Rouge with the 2016 flood, where it was the, uh, maybe you've heard of the the Cajun Navy, which was a, a bunch of folks who had their own small boats and they all came together and were going into areas that no one else could get into to rescue people. But then they formed a nonprofit profit. And they realized like, oh, we have a unique skill set that we can come together and help in this way. And now they've gone on to help others. So I I think we're going to continue to see out of COVID-19, these new innovations, just like you said, maybe it's with education, you know, even just thinking about like the spiritual first aid that we just talked about that, you know, we created it in a way that can be done uh, virtually, that you don't have to be face-to-face to provide care um, and, and to be able to provide presence. And so it is challenging us, I think all, I think in new ways, that there could also be some really positives to come out of this, not to you know downplay the negative, but it, there is this unique opportunity for innovation right now. Yeah, and certainly um, as the South uh, recovers from recent um, really devastating winter storms, there are definitely going to be people who are thinking about uh, what things to recover, but then also what needs to be innovated? What do we need to to think about in terms of a better way uh, moving forward together? I feel like, Jamie, that's always what you're focused on, um, meeting the immediate needs of people experiencing disaster firsthand, but then also the rest of us surveying the landscape in front of us and saying, you know, how could we do better together uh, in the future. So thank you as always. I uh, want to direct people to the Humanitarian Disaster Institute. Jamie Ayton is the uh, executive director and founder. Um, you also, we also want to invite you to check out the Spiritual First Aid course at spiritualfirstaid.teachable.com. You can use the code CARMEN, C-A-R-M-E-N, for 20% off. Hey, Jamie, thank you um, so much. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. We'll be right back. All right, I feel like I've given you a lot to do today on this uh, on this Friday. So uh, for those of you still looking for the information, the website is spiritualfirstaid.teachable.com. You are looking for, if you just Google spiritual first aid, this is actually what's going to come up. Uh, for those of you asking about how to use the code, um, you actually have to click through to the place where you'd be registering for the course, and then you can use the code CARMEN for a 20% reduction in the cost. Um, so since you also know that's 20 bucks, that probably gives you a clue uh, what they're looking for. All right, it's a cool certification if you are uh, if you are interested. 
Um, what else are you reading? What are you up to? Where in the word are you today? You can always text me at 877-933-2484 or email me, Carmen at MyFaithRadio.com. I have gotten some like really good questions from folks um, on email recently, seeking to answer those. So be patient with me, um, particularly if you ask a long question like uh, the one I received today about the interpretation of Scripture. Um So, you know, thank you. Thank you for your engagement uh, with the program. Connect with us online at MyFaithRadio.com. Share the show with someone new. It's always um, a joy. It's always a joy to gather with you. And uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that this weekend you will have an opportunity to get together with other Christians in your community, that there will be opportunities for uh, corporate worship and fellowship. I recognize that um, in some communities, the restrictions are um, are giving way to increased opportunity to engage one another um, in community. And I don't know about you, but I am longing for that. It has created a sense of longing. Have a great weekend and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.